listening to episode 260 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with the Netflix series Dark, and things are picking up, dude. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you're picking up by going back, though, you know, like, it's not just a lot of action going on, but there's just so much, like, this episode is so pivotal. Um, It's basically when... Though we got a little bit of realizing Mickle was in 1986, this is where it turns into the totally WTF episode because now we're meeting all these characters that we know from 2019. We're seeing in 1986 when they were younger and some characters that are suspiciously um, not present in 2019. Yes, and it could just be because they're not still alive or could be something else. Yeah. Before we go too much further, Wayne and I want to remind you, we'd love to hear from you. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave us a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab, record your own audio clip, send the MP3 as an attachment, tweet us at sci-fi TV rewatch, or join the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. Uh, I just want to repeat some news that I brought up last week, and it's about how you can access sci-fi TV rewatch. We are on Google play iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And if you were trying to get us through Google Play, I'd forgotten to update the feed when we changed it in, uh, gosh, about a year or so ago. But everything should be good on that at this point. All right. You want to go first with your tip of the week? Yeah. So my tip of the week is not a genre per se, though there's a talking can of, of vegetables in it but uh i've actually just recently gotten into the wet hot american summer franchise so there's like an original movie done in 2001 with a bunch of 20 30 something actors playing teenagers they went back into 2015 netflix released a limited series where so the, the movie it's about this summer camp and so the movie was just the last day of camp the Netflix series done 15 years later is the first day of camp, except of course, all the actors are now 15 years older and look even less like teenagers than they did. And they just kind of make it part of the joke. And then in 2017, Netflix did another limited series with the 10 year reunion. So their characters are now 10 years older, but the actors are and now, you know, another two years older than they were, yeah, when they did in 2015, so like 17 years older when they made the original movie. So I guess that kind of evens out a little bit more. But still, uh, really super funny. Uh, you know, my kids go to camp, so there's stuff in there that I know that they've ex- – well, not that they've experienced really because the, the shows are completely off the charts, but very, very funny and enjoyable. So, well, Cool. Well, mine's definitely not funny, that's for sure. Um I'm going to stick with my trend of going with British detective mysteries. And this one's called Marcella. It's from ITV. So this is not a BBC production, but it is British. And it follows a female detective who's returned to the force after time away, presumably to raise her family. But details start revealing themselves along the way, uh, including the fact that something has happened to her in the past that might be the cause of these stress-inducing blackouts that she suffers. 
Now, there are two seasons, eight episodes each. Each season's an independent case in and of itself. Um, a little sci-fi tie-in. Jamie Bamber, who we know is Leah Dahmer right. from Battlestar Galactica, is sure. in it. And then two actors from Counterpart. You don't watch Counterpart, right? Or am I no, wrong? No, I haven't. No. Oh, okay. Uh, but the guy that discovers his wife is actually a sleeper agent from the other side. And then the guy who's, I don't know if he's married to Howard Silk's wife, who's played by Olivia Williams, a.k.a. Adele DeWitt. No. So, you know, there's a little sci-fi tie in there. But it's really good. I'm just really torn now at the season or series finale of season two that it was just really great up until the very end and i'm still not sure what to think of the ending and obviously i'm not going to explain it but it's called marcella it's available on netflix cool so all right well let's get to the show we're anxious to talk about we alluded to in the introduction and that is of course dark episode three of season one entitled past and present written by Yante Frisia and Mark O. Seng, directed by Baron Baudelaire. As we said, he directed all of the episodes in this season. So right away, the vast majority of this story takes place in 1986, yep. as we see Mikkel adjusting to his new surroundings. Um, we see Ulrich going to the cave to search for Mikkel, and, and that's really the only scene in 2019 mm-hmm. other than that just that real quick cut of Ines you know fondling the wooden box uh, that, that's i think really the only thing and that's really in right the split well screens. yeah yeah we get the split screens where they show the the person in 1986 and then 2019 so i guess technically we get you know a couple shots of 2019 but nothing really happening we just see the basically the people you know from in the past and present as the title says Yeah. Now, we find out that it's November 5th, 1986, and that Mads has been missing for four weeks at this point. But more so than anything, the episode establishes the family and personal connections that go back 33 years. And for me, one of the ones that I find most compelling is the Hannah Ulrich link. Sure. And I mean, does it matter that Hannah has had a crush on Ulrich since they were kids and does that over does that impact the overall narrative? And we, we don't need to even answer that now because it's going to come up in the course of the destruct, <laughs> the, the course of the discussion, <laughs> this course of the discussion. <laughs> yes. um, but the other thing I was going to ask you about, how, how do you feel about the split screen used to connect past with present? I mean, did you think it was too much, maybe overkill well, or, or actually just perfectly? Okay. No, because as we were talking before, the first time I watched this, like I still by this episode had not really been able to sort all the I, I'm still trying to figure out who everyone was in 2019. Now all of a sudden we're in 1986 and I'm trying to figure out who everyone is back then. So when I went back and watched it the second time I was I was fine. I got it straightened out. But the first time through I was pretty confused. And so actually the first time I saw the split screen I was like, especially with uh, Regina, who has probably the most memorable uh, scene in the split screen, but she's her hair is down. So I was like, like I knew who everyone else was, but I was like, wait, who's that? Because it, it still hadn't like kind of registered who Regina was in the past. And then I went back and 
rewatched it and I got it straightened out. So, um, so basically what I'm saying is I appreciate that they, they did that to help me kind of get my bearings and, and kind of figure out who, who some of these characters were. Right, cool. And, and if you want to go back and check it out again, Fred has posted screen caps of, I believe, all the split screens. I, I believe there were at least six that, that he posted. So they're on the Facebook group and you can check them out there. So uh, for the most part, this episode is about Mickle adjusting to 1986. And after his parents, the teenage variety, leave the house from, you know, because we, we saw him in last week's episode, go to his house and, and of course, start to uh, question about what's really going on. But he goes into the house, finds his grandmother lying on the couch. And of course, at first, she thinks Mads has returned from having gone missing, frantically asks him if he knows where Mads is. But it's as if she knows he's not of this reality there's there's something i got and this is the third time i think like you that that i've watched this episode and i just got this sense that she knew something was a bit off with this kid that's standing in her living room yeah yeah i can i can see that i mean my feeling was she's because obviously mads has just disappeared um she is completely distraught as is the and you really start to feel i mean this is like the nielsen family 30 years ago dealing with you know so, so we kind of get this we we really start to feel for yana in 2019 because now she's she's just reliving all this stuff right she went through all this stuff with mads and now she's going through it all over again with mickle um but we see just how like she's lying on her couch She's still, the kids are off to school, but she's still in her nightgown and her bathrobe lying on the couch. And so when she hears a young boy come in, she just jumps to, oh, it's Mads. And of course it's not. And, um, but she's definitely having trouble accepting reality as far as that goes. Okay. Now I understand that Mickle's disoriented. Why wouldn't he be? Sure. But shouldn't he recognize his grandmother? I mean, has he never seen pictures of his grandmother? Does she look that much different than any time he's ever seen her? Or maybe he never, I mean, we know he's seen her. She's still alive in, in 2019. So yeah. I found that a little bit strange. Well, it's the but, same thing with his mom and his dad, right? That I mean, certainly he's seen photos of his parents when they were younger. You know, he, we assume he would have recognized them, but. I you know I I, I kind of like how even even when he gets to the police station he still hasn't really figured it out just yet you know because right. I mean it's not until he has that conversation with uh, Tideman and right. establishes that it is in fact 1986 right right exactly and so because you know like while we see so many sci-fi and, and genre things that involve time travel where the person just is in the past and they're like freaked out for about five minutes and then kind of accept the fact that they've somehow traveled to the past. I, I liked how they had Mickle really still, despite seeing the date on the paper, despite seeing his own parents as teenagers and his grandmother uh, 30 years younger, Despite all of this, he still is unable to really wrap his mind around the fact that he somehow traveled through time. And I think probably 
that would be all of us, right? Like, what kind of logic would you have to go through before you got to the point where, oh, I just traveled through time? I mean, first, you you must be thinking someone is pranking me in a major way, right? This is a joke, or this is a dream, or, or you know, this isn't real, or, or something, or I'm in a coma right now, uh, and all this is happening. Um, before you get to, holy crap, I've traveled 30 years in the past. I think you just covered every sci-fi time travel trope that's out there. <laughs> right. But but no, I agree with you. And I think we have to consider and, and really not forget that he's, what, 12 years old? Right. He's at just the a most. Kid, right. So, I mean, it's one thing for an adult to be disoriented get his or her bearings and then like, okay, I'm in the past or I'm in the future or whatever. So yeah, I think we have to cut Mickle some slack. Um, I mean, just, now, just, just to of- support my point here, even Kyle Reese in Terminator, when he first jumps back to 1984 and he like grabs that cop, he's like, what da- what's the date? And the, the guy says, I can't remember the date. He says, what year? You know, so even the guy who knew he was traveling through time was still like a little disoriented trying to figure out what year it was. So. Yeah. Right. We well, got to cut the little kids some slack. Uh, exactly. Although those guys, like the guys in Continuum, they knew they were traveling back in time. They were just checking to see whether you know they ended up where they were supposed to end up. Sure. So, all right. Now, Mickle, his clothes are dirty, cuts on his face. He goes to school, and, and of course, he sees, I think we see it before he does, the doors are plastered with missing posters about his uncle Mads. Mm-hmm. Again, he he can't but help to have heard about his uncle Mads who disappeared 33 years ago. Yeah, certainly. He, and it says Mads Nielsen. So, you know, whether or not he's able to process all of this, because as we said, it, it's a lot going on. He's still wearing his skeleton costume. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, he's not only time traveled, but he's taken some physical punishment as well. So, Again, not to belabor the point, I, I think we have to understand why he's having a difficult time processing this. But I, I love it when he's walking down the hall of the school and he gravitates toward Katarina, <laughs> who's hold, holding court with her girlfriends. Yeah. And Mickle tells them he's looking for his mother, the principal. But of course, they inform him that the principal's a man. And then his mother tells him, You're sure young to drop acid. And, and I'm thinking, like, she is the classic mean girl. She is a very mean girl. Yeah, absolutely. And would be perfect in Mean Girls 3 or 4 or whatever version <laughs> they're on at this point. But I uh, just uh, just like a couple of weeks ago I finally sound uh, I finally saw the original Mean Girls movie, so I'm a little behind on that one. Oh, okay. All right, well you mentioned Mickle going to the police station and you know that makes sense. But before before we move father. on, I have to say this because okay. Uh, Hannah and Katerina are having a musical dispute and uh, Hannah is saying that she likes Falco and I say huzzah for you I loved Falco when I was a kid in the 80s it's kind of like funny the whole thing because I figure Hannah's probably 15-ish right she seems like Katerina and Ulrich seem like they're older like maybe 17 or 18 I was 16 at the time so I'm like kind of this is this is I, I'm I was a teenager at this exact time, so basically, kind of the things they're experiencing in '86. I'm like right there with them. 
Uh, and, uh, and like, yeah, I love Falco. God, you know, rest in peace. But, uh, you know, it was great. Rock me Amadeus, Vienna oh, calling. Oh, see, see, I'm thinking like, oh, you know, I know he crossed the picket line, but he should definitely get another shot at the NFL. Oh, not that Falco. No, no. Okay. Uh, Dracomasar, great song. Okay. Lots of, so, you know, again, you know, the, maybe, uh, some of the Germans, uh, who are listening to us who grew up in the 80s can, uh, you know, wax nostalgic about Falco with me as well. Yep. All right. Well, Mickle goes to the police station to look for his father. Chief Tideman is not amused when he tells him that I'm Ulrich's son. And of course, we get some insight into the kind of youth Ulrich Nielsen is yep. in this community. And the chief, as I said, is not amused. But that's when he finds out that it is, in fact, 1986. And the chief calls for somebody to pick up Mickle and tells him, I'm going to go take care of Ulrich. He won't be hurting you again. I can promise you that. And so just like you, like the, the, the titlemans are just, just, you know, I, I don't know. If I feel bad like labeling him as, as a terrible person, but he's not good. He's not a good cop. He's not a good person. I mean, sure. Ulrich seems like he's a problem, but like he's hassling him way over the bounds. I mean, he basically illegally enters that house. I mean, I'm not sure what the rules are in Germany for police entering a house, but I'm pretty sure they're about the same as America. The cops can't just go barging in to houses whenever they want. You know? Well, no, and more to the point, I don't think they're allowed to stop your death metal music from playing when you're in the middle of a video game. Yeah, what the hell? I mean, come on. <laughs> now, to go along with that, why would the chief leave Mickle alone in his office? I mean, okay, fine. A narrative device for him to see the report and the newspaper articles of missing Mads, picture of his brother, so that now he knows that that was his father that he had met earlier if he you know, hadn't put two and two together already. We also learned that Mads was 12 when he went missing. And I don't know that we know how old Mickle is exactly, but again, would you say he's about 12? Like, I think he, if we haven't gotten that information, um, actually, I think they say in the, the police report. Oh, no, that's Mads they're talking about. My bad. Right. So I'm starting to wonder whether 12 is some right. you know, important age. He's definitely around that age, for sure. Um, and so, and, and we would assume just Leah as a narrative device. Well, he has to be 12, right? He has to be the same age that Mads was when Mads disappeared. So, well, nurse Ennis comes to collect Mickle, take him to the hospital to be checked out. And, and obviously that mole, uh, you know, on her lip is, is one way that we certainly can keep track that this is in fact the same person. Sure. Well, that's but, also like, you know, again, like there's, there's, I mean, Ines is not, a german name right like that's a spanish name so i just i'm wondering if that's if there's anything to that that okay that she because she does seem like an outsider right not like yeah. a foreigner per se but she seems like an outsider for sure so i wonder if her name is a reflection of her you know outsider status so again german friends send in the feedback let us know we're, we're well, learning stuff ask, here. We're, it's, it's a cultural. That's the like, great thing about watching films from other countries, TV shows, because it's like this this cultural bridge. You know, you learn things about other cultures. It's awesome. 
Oh, you know, just to sidetrack for a second, you know, my tips of the week have been these British detective mystery stories. And right away, you realize they they don't carry guns, right. the British police force. Right. And that's something that I think as an American, we take for granted because you're thinking like, you know, yeah, just shoot the guy or, you know, you can defend yourself. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You can't defend that. You, you don't have a weapon. All right. Anyway. Um, well, you could say stop very forcefully. You can. Yeah. Now, uh, you can give the chase. Thing, <laughs> the other thing about Innes, and you had mentioned this before we started recording, whether or not we knew that her last name was Conwald before we see her name badge at the hospital. And, and as we, you know, talk before we started recording i don't neither of us is really sure about that right so yeah and but, did we know that you know outside of looking at imdb that that was you know michael and jonas and hannah's last name they probably did drop that bit of information somewhere in you know episodes one or two but you know i don't know right but but you know then she she tells him after comforting him that all this will turn out all right and of course, it really doesn't. And, and even when uh, Mickle goes to the police for uh, to the police office and tied him and tells him that he won't be hurting you again, I can promise you that. And you start thinking, all right, am I reading too much into that? Because I mean, Ulrich seems to be a good father to his children. I mean, he's not a good husband. No, cheating on his wife. Right, but there's no indication that he doesn't love his kids and, and that he neglects them. So honestly, there's no indication he doesn't love his wife, you know, like we're coming at this from a very puritanical, probably point of view in America. But, uh, you know, he, he seems like he, he loves Katerina as well. So, you know, but, but yeah, like not to, not to make him into any kind of saint, but I get what you're saying there. Now, as Ines is bandaging his hand, he, just comes out and tells her, I come here from the future. Yeah, what and, the hell? Throw it out there, well, son. And, and again, I'm looking at her initial reaction, and it's almost as if she possesses some prior knowledge that what he says might be true, even though the camera cuts to a comic on right. the table about the future, and then we're supposed to think, oh, well, that's, you know, she's going to assume that's why he said it. But that that really has stuck with me. Yeah, we and don't then, see her do like the, like looking, like rolling her eyes or something like, oh, this kid is, is nuts. Uh, or, you know, let's call psycho- psychologist right away. You know, um, instead, she, you're right. She does look like that's not a crazy thing to say. But then the camera does, I almost like wish the camera didn't cut to the comic books, you know, because now that suggests that she's thinking, oh, of course, he's just you know his imagination's hyped up because he's reading comic books um but yeah because we do get the feeling that she kind of believes him you know yeah yeah i think it would have been much better to just leave that that image out and sure you know let us well, think what we're and also we know that in as there's she does stuff that we don't know right like the whole deal with the box and how she had michael's letter his suicide note and everything um, it just seems like she's a, like she's got secrets in her closet that um, that that we don't know about. So, like for her to believe Mickle, 
that's you know to me it doesn't seem like that's a big stretch well yeah but that's the 2019 Inez you're talking about i mean the 1986 doesn't have the the box with the letter well no but but she but like i said i mean she just seems to be a person who kind of has access to secrets it seems like and okay. that potentially could stretch back to 1986 because we are seeing the parallels in these characters um from you know in the that the 30 year time period yeah right and and they make a point that she has no family that not only is she not married but they're just you know don't seem to be any brothers sisters parents so that uh you know does that come into play for why she takes mickle in as her you know as her own so to speak i mean i don't think she's pretending i mean we we certainly didn't see that yet now the hospital lights start flashing and again we've seen this and and you know we'll see this parallel into other scenes within the same episode but it's what prompts mickle to climb out the window and he's running through the woods at night and we assume right away he's trying to return to the cave from which he emerged in 1986 and of course that is what he's doing and you know we'll talk about that uh you know in a little bit but um you know, this, this is a kid, that, and and you know, for for the the two of us have seen the entire series. I think I already slipped and said something I probably shouldn't have said a minute or so ago. I won't bring it up. What yeah, it is. there but, there was uh, something in there, but that's okay. Yeah, but uh, well, we also see the Nielsen family, and we're introduced to Tronti, who is Ulrich's father. But uh, of well, course, we're not introduced years. to him because we did see him well, in, right. in twenty nineteen. But yeah. Right, but but we're introduced to him as a reporter who wants to interview Claudia Tideman, who's now become head of the nuclear power plant. And at first we assume, and this is just a, a standard interview, and, and while it might be legitimate, it establishes that he and Claudia are having an affair. Which, again, but, what's up with the Nielsen boys? How come, like, how come like they father can't? Father like son. Yeah, how come they can't keep it in their pants, huh? Right. Now, it also, though, appears here that she may have put things on hold for a bit, perhaps due to her new job responsibilities. But he's like giving her that, you know, I can't stand it. I'm dying out here. We've got So I, I love the fact that she's in control and that for her, she's been given this tremendous opportunity professionally and she's not going to let this relationship, whatever it is with Tronte, screw things up. Right. And if so. Tronte is anything like his son, then screwing up the relationship or screwing up people's lives, it seems like is going to be pretty inevitable. Right. I mean, just like Ulrich, you can see he's, he's not being very careful. Like he shows up, he, he gets close to her. He, they hold, well, at least they touch hands, in public, in her workplace, you know, like anyone could see that. And this is a small town, as we've talked about before. So he's very indiscreet, just as Ulrich is, you know, kind of going around with Hannah and not really being careful or discreet about what what he's doing. Uh, you know, we mentioned the chief just walking right through the front door of the Nielsen home, finds Ulrich playing that video game, listening to his death metal music. And, you know, you mentioned Chief Tideman not being a very good police officer, and I would certainly agree with you. 
one of the first things that Ulrich does is accuse the chief of drinking on the job. And I think he probably has good reason to make that accusation other than the fact that there hasn't been any progress in his brother's case at this point. You know, I, I think th- this is a small town. Yeah. And when, when you mentioned, uh, you don't know what the rules are in Germany, but you can't just walk through somebody's front door. And I would certainly agree with you, but you wonder because the town is so small and everybody right. knows each other that he, he feels a little more free to do that. Doesn't make it right, but no. Well, and, and you see, like, he's – so this is so, like, 1980s, right, is that he feel he's like, why do you listen to this stuff? You know, like, oh, this, this heavy metal music is going to make you do crazy things and everything. And that was like – you know, that was a thing, right? You know, like, even in America, it was this, the same thing. Uh, later, he's talking about Satanists, right, because there was that whole, you know, fear that uh, you know, kids who listen to heavy metal music were worshiping Satan, and you know, and that was it's it's crazy, right? But there's actually, have you ever heard like the the West Memphis Three? No. So there were three kids. Uh, they were teenagers. I believe it was the late eighties, maybe early nineties. You know, so basically, um, I think these two eight year old boys were were murdered, and they basically put it on these three teenagers because they were kind of like this little West Memphis, Arkansas, this little town, you know, wore black and listened to heavy metal. And these, these guys got locked up for like 30 years before they were finally exonerated and let out, you know? So, you know, that's why I think I reacted strongly to his immediately thinking Ulrich is behind stuff because he listens to heavy metal and so he must be a satanist and and that's the reason why like really he thinks Ulrich went and killed 33 sheep and then cut off the hoof of like that was like his first suspicion you know it's just like it's just crazy and you well, know, yeah bad police and, and they're really they're really setting Ulrich up as a juvenile delinquent there's the graffiti that we saw at the power plant that no future and we see the same script on his wall right and you know whether he was involved with painting it at the power plant we have no idea but, but heads up he's to just teenager really- vandals if you want to spray paint something in public that you get in trouble for don't have the exact same phrase spray paint on your bedroom wall just a yeah, exactly. just a little tip but i mean he's really rude defiant towards the chief so it, it's certainly not the ulrich that we know in 2019 although i don't know about you but i'm pretty sure that uh most of my high school teachers did not expect that i would end up being a high school teacher exactly I'll just leave it at that <laughs> right well you, you can't like I, I can't remember who said it, but I, you know basically i remember saying to someone i would i would hate for someone to judge me based on what i was like as a teenager um because we all do this thing called growing up and uh so you know obviously ulrich is not there yet we know he will be a police officer and certainly that is beyond the imagining of titan at this point in time and understandably so. Sure. Now, we see Ulrich sitting at a bus stop smoking a cigarette when he's approached by Hannah, who's ridden her bicycle there. And, and as you said earlier, she appears to be about three or four years younger than he is. But, you know, she sits down. He's friendly towards her. 
again, small town, you know, maybe he, he knows her already. Uh, because at, at that age, you know, where, where he's 17, 18, she's maybe 13. That's a pretty wide gap. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he doesn't treat her as if she's a little kid. But they start talking about whether or not this is the apocalypse. And, and of course, th- they're joking to a point because of all the lights flashing and right. all of that. And, and I think she says, I thought it would be louder and brighter, but certainly what we're meant to notice here is that she has a big time crush on him. Sure. Whether he realizes it or not, who knows? I don't, he, he, I don't think he realizes it and everything. Cause I think he doesn't treat her like a little kid, but he doesn't treat her like as an equal either. Like he invites her to hang out, but he clearly does not see her as any kind of object of affection or anything like that um right so we wonder how this relationship progressed because you know when he's 21 you know she's still only going to be 17 but when he's 24 she's going to be 20 21 and you know now it's not that big of an age difference so we wonder how far back this relationship has its roots yeah, uh, and this, this. well, here's the thing, you know, like, I mean, Hannah, I mean, we talked about how stalkerish she is in 2019. This kind of brings some context to that, oh, well, she's wanted to get on Ulrich since she was like 14 years old. So now she's like basically living out her fantasy that she's had since she was a kid. Right. Yeah. All right, well, why don't we move over to the Tideman family? And we've got Claudia Tideman, who's Regina's mother. And, and you know, not around in 2019. Right. And, and we've got that scene where the teenaged Regina's riding in the car with her mother, who's not happy with her sullen daughter, reminds her that I've been entrusted with this big job. And, and, and at that point, we're assuming it's the power plant, but we don't no yet but it obviously it doesn't take long to to find that sure. out but she's greeted by helge who's scrubbing graffiti from that ground and now, that's do we that, know that that's helge at this point well i think she calls him by name okay yeah i think she she thanks him by name in that scene and he certainly gives her his emotional support and then he gives her the gift of a book and you know we'll talk about what the book is in a bit but why this book? And and maybe we'll hold that question to when we talk about the title. Right. Well, I, I think what we see here mostly is that Helge is like, he's not all with it, right? Right. Like he's a little bit of a simpleton. And of course, in the future, he's the crazy guy. He's a town loon. So that's not a far stretch for us. You know? Right. Now, one of the first on the job scenes we see is she's barely in the building. She's still carrying her briefcase. I think has her coat on and her assistant comes up wearing this hideous outfit, which I guess was cool in, uh, in the mid eighties. She's suspicious of the figures that her assistant has provided regarding the plant that, that something doesn't seem up with her. So she goes in and talks to the guy that she's taking over for burned Doppler Again, you know, we we certainly have talked enough about the Doppler family and we'll continue to. But he tells her, and you talk about things that characters say that 
what the hell does that mean? What we know is a drop. What we don't know is an ocean. Yeah. So is he referring to the barrels that he's going to show her in, in a little bit, or is he referring to something else? Because she wheels him out to some remote part of the plant grounds. He gives her a floodlight and okay. Uh, you know, that whole idea of suspending your disbelief. Okay. She goes down on that rope wearing her high heels descends into the cave. Okay. I guess, um, <laughs> But as she goes farther into the cave, she eventually comes on these dozens of stacked yellow drums, presumably containing nuclear waste. And I, I guess we're supposed to assume that this is the big secret. Is Does this have something to do with the numbers that didn't seem right yeah. to her or, or what? But, you know, then we go back to the door that Ulrich finds in the cave. And, and are, are all of these related? And while that's probably pretty bad, okay, well, we were kind of hoping for something bigger than a bunch of... I don't know. That's pretty messed up, though, man. That is a lot of nuclear waste that they're just well, storing. People live in this freaking place, man. They're like just uh, uh, storing in caves just a couple of feet below your, your feet, man. Like, oh, my God. I understand. And then uh, we, we see her next sitting alone in her car, and she opens Helge's present, and it's a copy of a book entitled A Journey Through Time by H.G. Tanhouse. So, obviously, with what we know about Mikkel, you know, things are starting to pick up. And, and obviously, yeah. we already know that time travel's involved, but why this book? Why does this guy, who, as you said a few minutes ago, doesn't seem to be all there... Why, why would he, of all people, give her this book? Yeah, and why is his dad Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life? Really? No, just... Or you're just... The, oh, the oh, wheelchair just, uh, and, and how he's like this kind you. of this evil old man in the wheelchair uh, cliche, you know? Uh, right. Okay. Not, that, not, that, with- not that the older gentlemen in wheelchairs are evil, but I'm just saying, like, you know, that Mr. Potter kind of archetype we've seen you know, since 1946. Okay. But, but I think that's a question that, that really needs to be explored further. And, and, you know, if you want to think about, you know, why him, what does he, and certainly, as you mentioned, he's the nutty guy in 2019 that, that comes into the meeting, it's happening again, or whatever he says exactly. Did you notice the cuts on teenage Regina's arms? Yeah. Yeah. How could you not? Right. She lifts up her shirt to, to, to show him so 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 what does she do does she cut herself she's cutting or? herself yeah okay i guess that was a thing back in the 80s i, I you know it's, I, um, I think that's probably been a thing as long as scissors and teenagers have you know kind of cross <laughs> okay. paths okay now the other thing in the split screen we see 2019 regina and you know you were mentioning you almost didn't recognize her because her hair was down and and i was the same but it seems as if she's performing a self-examination and, and you wonder, does she fear she has breast cancer? I mean, th- I mean that's, that's something all women are supposed to do. Ladies, if, if you're not, once a month, you need to check yourself, check, so just put it out there. It's for your own good. Um, so, 
So something she should be doing, but the look on her face definitely seems to be one of concern, you know? Okay. And, and of course, we wonder whether it has anything to do with living in proximity of the nuclear power plant. Well, yeah. Or living in proximity of the cave full of nuclear waste. You know, maybe that has something to do with it. So, although we don't know how close she lives, but, uh, you know, we've said that her grand, uh, Regina's grandfather, Claudia's father is the police chief. And you, you mentioned the sheep and the chief is investigating the mysterious death of 33 sheep. There's of course that number 33 again. Sure. And then the farmer brings up a Bible passage, Mark 13, 33, which I, I didn't write down what the exact passage is, but it certainly sounds like an end of the world warning. I, I think it's the, the like the you come the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I think. Hold on. Uh, Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is a man taking a far journey, left his house, gave authority to servants, to every man's work, command the poor to watch. Watch ye therefore, if you not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight or the cock cock crowing or in the morning thus coming suddenly he finds you sleeping yeah so it's basically like be on your guard because you know the bible is saying you know keep on your toes and and be good because you don't know when the lord will return and you'll be called to account for everything you did you don't want to be caught you know spanking it to internet porn when that happens well said (laughs) (laughs) now the medical examiner explains to him that all 33 sheep appear to have died of cardiac arrest and he doesn't seem to think it's any big deal but the chief asks if one of the sheep's missing a hoof and he tells him nope and and that obviously then clears uh ulrich of any satanic behavior perhaps related to that well he's still i'm still watching you kid you can just you just see that going through his head as he says that right Right. But the ME points out that the eardrums on both sides are ruptured. Oh, that sounds familiar. And, and then we're, we're starting to wonder, well, is this what's happening with the birds and what's causing them to drop out of the sky? And the chief goes out into the field in the middle of the night. And I'm thinking, all right, why? Is this related to the sheep? I mean, we assume so. Then we hear that familiar roar off in the distance, and he's suddenly pelted by dozens of dead birds falling out of the sky. And one of the show's more unsettling scenes. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Kind of like like Fred will talk about how reminiscent of the birds, but in the birds, like the birds were alive and attacking people. And in this case, the birds are just dropping on out of the sky dead. Yeah. which certainly is probably some kind of homage to Hitchcock, but uh, is also very kind of disturbing, as you said. Yeah, and I mean, whether the birds' ear canals have been damaged as well, we we don't know. As you said, Fred's going to talk a little bit about right. that in his feedback. But before we go but, on, just at this point, I just because there is something about like last names here with the Titlemans, right? So we got Titleman, the police chief. I don't think we've got his first name yet, right? His, I don't think so. His daughter is Claudia. They establish it's his daughter, not his daughter-in-law, but she also goes by the last name Titleman, right? Right. Um, so did she, you know, it's possible she has, you know, had uh, Regina out of wedlock and she's not married or something because Regina also will have the last name Titleman, right? Right. As does her son. 
So mm-hmm. it's like the name is being passed down, dis- whether you know, despite uh, the the gender of the 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 the, the kid, right? Mm-hmm. So even though it's girls, they they're maintaining the family name, even though it's not going through sons. Which again, I, I'm pretty sure that's not a thing in Germany, just as it's not a thing in the U.S. for the most part. It is now changing, but uh, certainly not in 86. Was, it wasn't that much of a deal. Okay. So while the chief is out in this field being pelted by the birds, his flashlight starts flashing. And, and of course, you know, we talked about that uh, earlier when Ulrich and Hannah are sitting at the bus stop. Uh, you know, it's probably going on at the same time. But we cut to Charlotte putting her dead bird into a freezer for mm-hmm. further study. And I'm thinking like... Uh, you know, Charlotte's a little bit creepy as a teenager. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't catch creepy, man. I just thought that she, like, we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing the people we know from 2019, we're seeing them as teenagers, but we see them, you know, even though Ulrich, we could say, is a lot different, he's still certainly that impulsiveness and that kind of rebellious spirit is not totally left him as an adult and Charlotte obviously is basically pretty much the same uh, as a kid as she will be in the future. You know, like she's collecting the birds, she's drawing pictures, she's taking meticulous notes. She knows something's going on. She's investigating it. I love that character. I love her. Well, I, love well, I do great. too. Now, so this is her grandfather that ran the power plant. Does that mean Helge is her father? Yeah, see, I don't think we know all this stuff yet, Dave. Okay. And and at this point, I you know, and again, some of these things I just don't remember, even though I've I've seen it. So, you know, we see her biking along a road, stops, picks up the dead bird, puts it in her satchel with her other school yeah. books. Something like, okay. Yeah. yeah um it's fresh. Right. And and you know, we see when uh, Claudia Tideman goes in to, you know, take over and Bernd Doppler's still clearing out his desk. And, and again, we, we talked earlier that the series uses family photos to establish who's who. And it seems to just be him and Helge, his son. Again, Charlotte's father, we don't know at this point. But Claudia comes in to challenge him about the figures. You know, she thinks that numbers have been faked because the public's lost faith in nuclear energy after the Chernobyl disaster, I guess. And he tells her that you're responsible for the entire town. And don't forget that the entire town more or less depends on the nuclear facility. So a lot of pressure and a lot of pressure to... Go with the flow. You know, the truth can be fluid. Right. Claudia. Right, right. And, and of course, I don't think that's really what she wants to hear. Yeah, but she she's going to play the game, though. Right? She, well, we she, don't know at this point. It's It seems like she's going to play the game. You know? Yeah. Because she's like, all right, tell me what I need to know. Like, at, at that moment, I think it's basically her saying, okay, I'm going to kind of chuck my scruples and you know and and go along with whatever it is i think he really hit home with her with the you're responsible for everyone in town speech you know right 
right. which I think is that really muck can. it up. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and then we've talked about Ines Conwald a bit during the discussion. Younger version of the older woman that has Michael's letter. Mother of Michael, grandmother of Jonas, mother-in-law to Hannah. You know, that she discovers Mickle's missing and that's when we go to that split screen sequence with uh older Ennis on the right fondling that wooden box that holds the letter but then we get to that one 2019 scene that is really pretty pivotal mm-hmm. Ulrich goes into the cave at night 1986 Mickle is also in the cave using the chief's lighter that he stole and I'm thinking what possessed him to steal the chief's lighter well i mean kids and lighters and fire you know kind of like okay and and that's and that's fine and certainly it comes in handy and then he goes in the cave mickle that is and he slides down some rocks injuring his legs and i've seen it three times now and i cringe every time i see it and and even though it turns out that you know, it's not a compound fracture. You know, he's not bleeding profusely. It's just, uh, it's just really kind of a gruesome fall. Yeah. Meanwhile, Ulrich's using a pry bar to open the door that he thinks is going to lead to inside the power plant. And then Mikkel hears the banging and calls for help. Ulrich in 2019 appears to hear the calls for help. And right. then we see that split screen as they both exit the cave, sit down frustrated and distraught. So what's the big takeaway here? Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, when I, in my imagination, and I remembered, I thought that he heard Mikkel's voice from behind the door, but he doesn't. Like he, when he looks at it, it's like, who's there? He looks out into the cave. So he's hearing Mikkel's voice inside the cave, not from behind the door. Yeah, and then it's heartbreaking, right? Like, like they are literally in the same space, but yet separated by thirty years. But yet somehow right. so, he was able; they were able to hear each other. Right. So, I mean, does time bleed through? I mean, we always talk about the space-time continuum. They're in the same space, but they're in different time. But there does seem to be some bleed through. Tenuous though it may be between 1986 and 2019, you know, because that's where we find these two two individuals. But it's really, as you said, it's a haunting scene. And the, the two of them just so helpless. Right. All work trying to find his son, his son trying to return home. And, and uh, it's just like you said, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, it is really bad, especially when we, you know, we see Ulrich in the the split screen, um, which I thought was really great. And actually, if you look at Fred's uh, posting, you can he's kind of captured right where his younger self and the older self, their heads are turned in like the same angle, um, except, you know, the older Ulrich is haggard and worn and exhausted and absolutely out of his mind. Uh, with worry and anxiety, it was just like a great shot, you know, because this, like, it's, it's, we, we can't really be 100% team Ulrich, 
but we can't 100% not be. You know, you really, I think, for me personally, I really feel for the entire Nielsen family, except for Tronte. I don't, I don't care for Tronte at all. Uh, but everyone else, they're just suffering so much. You, you have to, despite Ulrich being, you know, not 100% great person, um, you still really feel for him. No, I agree. I mean, he lost his brother as a child. He's now lost his son. Um, you'd, you'd like to think he exhibits some guilt over what it is he's doing with Hannah behind his wife's back, but you never know. that. Well, he didn't have sex with her in the police station, so that's a good yeah, start. That is. Now, the closing scene, we see this man who appears to be, I don't know, 60 or 70, and, and this is the first time we've seen him, but he's putting the finishing touches on the device that the hooded man carries in that case. So this apparently is either the first time it's been completed and this is its first activation, or perhaps he's repairing it. We don't know, but he turns it on and the gears begin to move and then that's it. Yeah. So I don't know what the hell that means. Well, (laughs) I mean, are we supposed to think it's some sort of a time machine? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, Mickle definitely went from 2019 to 1986 and that happened somehow. Um, And I don't know if it was just because of nuclear waste spillage. So the machine definitely seems to have something to do with everything that's going on. But what that is, it's you, you just have no idea, which is like the great. One of the great things about this show is they have stuff in there, and you're just like, what is that? All right, now they've shown me that thing twice. What the heck is it? You know, And they're like, say, uh, I'm not going to tell you yet. What do you think about that? Yeah, and you think back to all the different time travel stories and the devices that allow the characters to travel through time. The flux capacitor. With H- H- well, yeah, I mean, H.G. <laughs> Wells has that big like big chair kind of carriage looking right. thing uh continuum yeah. just has that little orb i knew you were that, gonna bring up continuum yeah um timeless again they've got a yeah. large device that that three or four of them can get into uh, so there's no reason to think it couldn't be this small object here as well but yeah uh, at this point we don't know sure but uh anything you want to bring up before we listen to fred's feedback Oh, I'm sorry. This is the one thing, because we did mention it, but just I think it, it bears repeating that we didn't see Claudia in 2019. So as you said before, it could be she's passed away since then. It could be she's vacationing in Ibiza while uh, this is all going down. Um, but I, I think it's telling that pretty much every other person, well, except for Titleman, the police officer, who's obviously he's probably dead by 2019 because he's pretty old in 1986 but pretty much everyone else we met in 1986 we've also seen in 2019 with the exception of of those two people all right well why don't we take a listen to what fred has to say about episode three of dark hello dave and wayne this is fred from the netherlands with just some thoughts on dark season one episode three called past and present or in german gestern und heute which actually translates not as past and present, but it translates to yesterday and today. First off, 
In your podcast about episode 1, you were talking about that you thought it was strange that the safest nuclear power plant in Europe, or even in the world, had to close. Not so strange in Germany. In 2000, in the year 2000, on the left-wing, environmental-orientated German government, uh, they decided to seize all nuclear energy. The plans were that in 2024 all nuclear power plants should be closed. And then the Fukushima catastrophe in Japan happened and 80% of the German population became against nuclear energy. Plans were speeded up and Germany will be nuclear energy free by the year of 2022. These days Germany does a lot on wind and solar energy as an alternative. Second topic. What do all these dead birds mean? Did the makers of Dark watch Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds once too much? It's a film out from 1963, I believe. Last weekend, uh, we celebrated my and my wife's birthday together by renting two holiday houses near the German border. In this way, uh, it was also easy for my wife's German family to visit us. Fortunately, my mother-in-law is a hobby ornithologist. She indeed was able to identify these birds. It are so-called J. G-A-Y. Or more specific, Eurasian J. Uh, Garulus glandarius which belongs to the family of the cross. In that sense, it fits Hitchcock's movie, in which he mainly used black crows. Big difference is that in dark, the birds are all dead. Does the dying of the birds have anything to do with the nuclear power plant? This would not explain why they suddenly fall out of the sky like raindrops. And why only this species? Because if you look properly, it are all these J, and as far as I could see, no other type of birds. The symbolic meaning could be that these birds, and also my mother-in-law told me that, uh, besides a wide range of in- intervertebrates, uh, berries and oak seeds, uh, it all, they also eat young birds and eggs. Is this a reference to the disappearing children? It, by the way, shows uh, these birds. Charlotte is collecting them. Uh, It, uh, by the way, uh, shows her investigatory nature, which may lead to becoming a policewoman, uh, in the sense that she studies these birds, draws them, and even collects them. Next topic which I found a little strange, is Ulrich and Hannah sitting at the bus stop. It's very strange to see them sitting there uh, talking about the silly town of Winden, knowing that these kids will have sex when they grow up, especially because Hannah looks uh, much longer, younger than Ulrich. Of course, uh, if there is an age difference between them, or she just could be uh, uh, smaller than he, Uh, It does not matter that much anymore at an adult age. And we perhaps can see that Hannah uh, at that age already likes Ulrich. 
In the last 10 minutes of the episode, we nicely get the 1986 and the 2019 faces of uh, some major characters presented next to each other. I just wonder why the 2019 Regina is checking her breast. Does she have breast cancer? Or is she just worried about that? And perhaps a little bit more than other people, because being the daughter and later a wife of a nuclear power plant director. So, these were just some thoughts. Greetings, all the best. Till next time, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, well, you know, you mentioned Fred and the birds, and, and obviously that's one of the bigger mysteries at the moment, along with the cows, and, and we don't really have a 2019 parallel for the cows. Certainly seems as if it's got something to do with the power plant, but at this point, you know, I don't know. But I, I, what a good catch about the single species of bird. Obviously, that's yeah. not something that uh, I would have ever thought. I would not caught that in a million years. So, so, but I, you know, if if what he says about the Jays are is true, then I can only imagine that it was done very deliberately on the part of the showrunners to use this specific type of bird that does, as Fred said, um, would you know symbolically link to what's going on in Winden. Right, but it's almost as if it it's targeting, if that's even a. a an accurate word to use that one individual species i mean if it is something about the air pressure why doesn't it affect humans right but, or other birds now, or other like animals not sheep like, who knows right now she brings up young charlotte and i think fred is more along uh, your your line of reasoning i just think it's a little creepy but uh you know she certainly setting the tone for the type of professional she's going to be as an adult and okay that's fine now fred sent us a number of screen caps some of which he, he also posted on the website one of which is not safe for work but fred nice one i love it <laughs> and uh, <laughs> i too noticed the self-exam on regina's part so uh, you know whether we'll get a follow-up on that or not i don't know well i mean you I, let's face it if you just have a woman pull out her breast in a television show that's not done like lightly right it's it definitely was done gratuitously um so i think it's gonna be something that's important you know yeah no i i agree um the one thing like he had said about the birds you know he had mentioned that the con the connection with hitchcock's uh the birds i'm sorry um i kind of would more like to Relate to Mel Brooks's High Anxiety. Did you ever see that movie? I did not. Oh, you haven't? Uh -huh. Oh my God! Oh, it's hilarious. It's the funniest movie. So in it, there's because it's it's uh, it's Mel Brooks is a psychologist, and so it's a bunch of you know how Mel Brooks like you know has like different scenes that you know parody other movies. So High Anxiety parodies like Hitchcockian films in general, and the the scene from The Birds is, you know, all of a sudden he's being chased by the birds, but they all start pooping on him. <laughs> it's, it's nice. It's great. So check it out. High anxiety, Dave. You got another, after you watch Deadpool, you got to watch that. All right. Well, why don't we leave it there for our discussion of Dark well, and, and Actually, Fred hold on. I just, as all we right. were talking, there's one thing 
I realized there's always that one I, thing. No, there's, I know, but this is very important because when Hannah and Ulrich are speaking, and uh, we know Ulrich is a bit of a um, rebel, but um, he says that, um, you know, she's like, well, if, if the world ended and you could rebuild it, what would you do? And he would say, he says, a world without Winden, right? So it's like okay. this, you know, he wants nothing more than to get out of this small town that, that seems to choke him. But in the future, he's married to his high school girlfriend and he's still living in not only the same town, in the same house that he grew up in. So, you know, this the, the youthful desire of Ulrich to get the heck out of Winden obviously never panned out for him. Yeah, nor did it for Hannah. <laughs> right. So... All right, cool. Yeah, it's a good catch. I forgot about that. That That is an important Yeah, exchange. I told you. I want to yeah, just brought right. something frivolous up, man. No, no, you're right. So, I see, there I go. I did it again. That's two damn weeks in a row. <laughs> all right, hey, well, we're going to leave right. it there. Okay, don't worry about it, man. All right, now that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Dark. Anything else going on in genre TV? Encourage you to join the Facebook group, share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community, and if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com, voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can get through the website. And we'll be back next week to talk about Season 1, Episode 4 of Dark, titled Double Lives. But until then... Yeah, Dave, this would probably be a pretty good podcast if you could find a way to stop pickling your brain. <laughs>